0: Hey there, this is Dave from The Greg and Dave Show. Thank you for listening to the following broadcast here on Public House Media.
1: host of beauties and headcanons here on public house media thanks for listening to the following broadcast on public house media once you're done with this episode i hope you'll come and check out my show beauties and headcanons where we talk about nerdy theories games tv shows books movies you name it we're here to talk nerdy to you a new show comes out every friday don't forget to subscribe on itunes so you never miss an episode of beauties and headcanons thanks again for checking out the following broadcast on public house media
2: latest headlines
0: he's so much better as that number two option the insightful interviews michael scotto basketball insiders i don't
1: think there's an italian sit down between lebron and kyrie the hottest takes
0: teams that do run the system that colin thrives in have starting quarterbacks can
1: all be found on press Press Row. row
2: here's your host
1: you can only envy being that good ever in your life christian heimel
0: Well, here we are in the aftermath of one of the craziest national championship games of all time. Uh, A couple of things that we have learned. Obviously, Nick Saban is tremendous. Obviously, Alabama is great. Obviously, the SEC is great. But can we do better in college football? Can we have an expansion that maybe makes things just a little bit better? It's the biggest thing that I think needs to be addressed after this college football season has officially come to a close as we get closer to the draft now. Which teams... Uh, We'll go after some of these star players, and is there a quarterback controversy in Tuscaloosa? Obviously, we know a certain thing surrounding Georgia, but did the committee get it right? Did this championship game prove it? All of that and so much more to talk about. Welcome on Press Row, everybody. I'm Christian Heimel here, broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. So happy to have you guys here with us, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, iHeartRadio, or of course, The phmedia.com. We love having you guys here. A couple of big guests coming up here. Aaron Torres of The Athletic joins us once again. He's going to recap Monday night's insane uh, college football national championship game. I'm going to give him my thoughts on expansion. We'll see what he says about it. And then also we'll switch a little bit and and gear towards college basketball as we are in the midst of conference basketball play uh, for Division I. And you've got some really exciting games coming up here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and it'll be exciting to see just how big college basketball gets now in a season that if you haven't been following, there is nothing that makes sense in this college basketball season right now. Number one has been toppled a couple of different times. We've seen so much uh, difference in terms of rankings over these last couple of weeks. And you've just seen some absolute craziness so far uh, on the court in college basketball. Villanova back up at number one. And then you got West Virginia, Virginia, Michigan State, Purdue and Wichita, right there in the AP top 25 together. It's it's a lot of fun right now in college basketball. And then uh, Jake Brown of the Jake Brown Show, which you can find on Radio.com and Spotify and a number of other places. Uh, formerly of CBS Sports, you can uh, we'll talk to him about the NFL, the coaching vacancies, the crazy power struggle quote unquote that is going on up in New England, if it all makes sense at all, and then preview the divisional round coming up here this weekend. As always, we're going to take your guys' questions. Uh, We always love your guys' support and want to hear from you on social media. Twitter and Instagram page is at PressRowPHM. You can also email the show, PressRowPHM at gmail.com, or if you would like, you can find us on Facebook, PressRowPodcast-PublicHouseMedia. You guys, you listeners, tremendous support you've given us, making us one of the fastest-growing Podcasts in the country and we certainly appreciate it and hope that we continue to do that for you guys and give you reason to support us and if you want to hear anything else you want to hear more NHL talk more uh, college basketball talk whatever it is reach out let us know Uh, always love hearing from you guys constructive criticism is the only way for us to get better and for you guys to have a better product to listen to so we certainly appreciate everything that you guys do want to start off this week in the NBA because some interesting things have happened Over the last couple of days, you go back to uh, Monday night, and Monday was an interesting day in the NBA. Uh, It kind of got lost a little bit because of the national championship game, but how about the Cavaliers getting absolutely stomped on on the road against Minnesota, losing 127-99 to in that game. Uh, The Cavs... Absolutely, I don't want to call it embarrassed, but they just did not play well. Minnesota shoots 52%. The Cavs turn it over 14 times. They're out-rebounded 63-40. Now listen, I know uh, Andrew Wiggins is great. I know Jimmy Butler has a chip on his shoulder after being traded from Chicago. But oh my goodness, to have that kind of struggle on the road when you've got one of the best players in the game, probably the best player we've ever seen in LeBron James, and LeBron only has 10 points? He's only got 10 points? Are you kidding me? Jeff Green has 22 off the bench. Kyle Korver has 19. Dwayne Wade has 13. But it, it was just a bad game all around. LeBron did it best he could, but it, it was just a a terrible game to watch. And it's got to be concerning for Cleveland here. And this is the weird part about basketball. Because, listen, especially in the Eastern Conference where you know that Cleveland is going to make the playoffs. You know that uh, Boston is going to make the playoffs. Minnesota, as an upstart team, has a chance to make the playoffs, and who knows, probably will end up making the playoffs. But this is a squad that starts to have some struggles. When you look at their last couple of games, Cleveland struggling on the road. Look at some of these games for them, their last uh, eight, nine games. Monday night, they lose to the Timberwolves on the road. They go down and have to escape Orlando, who is injury-riddled and just terrible, with a 131-127 win. They lose at Boston, get trounced at Boston. I know it was only a 14-point loss, but that's a big one for them. Uh, lose at Utah, at Sacramento, at Golden State, at Milwaukee. You go all the way back. Their last road win, besides the Magic, was a 106-99 win against the Wizards. That was all the way back on December 17th. It's been almost a month since a legitimate road win. And this is nothing against Orlando. But for Cleveland, they should be winning some of these road games. They should be beating Sacramento. They should be beating Utah closer to the Celtics, if not beating Boston. And there is no way they should lose by almost 30 to Minnesota. Tonight is going to be a big matchup for them. They're in Toronto. It's a huge game. When you look at it from a confidence standpoint, because they have really struggled over these last little bit. You look at Cleveland in their last ten games; they have lost four of their last ten, and five of their last uh, four of their last ten, which is incredible to think of. Considering when you look at who they could be playing in the playoffs, if the season ended today, they would be playing Milwaukee, a team that has very good defense, has a tremendous talent in Giannis Atentakumbo. It's it's insane to think that they may not be one of those top teams now. Yes, they're third as you look at it, but the Celtics are playing well. Toronto, again, is a team ahead of them in the standing, so tonight is going to be big for Cleveland. But where I really look at some of the biggest keys, when I look at a top team, a top squad heading into the playoffs, my biggest thing is can you win on the road? Can you win those games against tough opponents on the road? And right now... Cleveland's not even winning games against bad opponents on the road, so it's a little concerning if you're a Cavaliers fan. It should be interesting to see exactly how things go, but tonight is going to be a huge matchup, uh, I think, just because you've had a couple of days rest now, you're coming off an embarrassing loss, and if you listen to LeBron James' postgame, he sounded as if he just got swept in the finals again uh, and was a young kid and doesn't know what he's doing, but... You know that that's all going to change. So we'll see exactly what happens with that. But tonight, you got a couple of big games. This is obviously the biggest one with Cleveland and Toronto and San Antonio and Los Angeles. And uh, when you talk about the Lakers, you, you unfortunately can't go without talking about LeVar Ball. And we're going to ask Aaron Torres of The Athletic about this because he's known the Ball family for years. Last time when we talked to them uh, was right after uh, the decision by LeVar to pull his son uh liangelo out of ucla now both of them are playing over in lithuania they combined to score 29 points in their debut but lavar ball saying that the lakers don't want to play for luke walton and and it's interesting when you think about it because the question becomes who did he hear this from is that lavar ball saying it because if it is lavar ball saying it it makes things a lot more difficult for that young kid in the locker room as a rookie Um, is it true at all? Uh, Have there been any other reports about it? Lavar didn't really, uh, uh, um, Lonzo, excuse me, didn't really say anything uh, to kind of disprove that. He just said, I'll play for anybody. Not a big ringing endorsement for uh, his coach, but you got to love what Kyle Kuzma said about it and and basically saying that he loves uh, his coach. He loves playing in LA. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens. And then the bigger question in all this is, can this be any way for, The Lakers, they've talked about, and we've heard rumors, can they get a LeBron James or a Paul George in free agency? Who knows? Uh, So there's a lot to talk about in the NBA. It's a very strange and fluid situation. Um, But again, that's all off-the-court stuff. When you look on the court, I've been telling you guys this since the summer, since the trade, even before the trade, since the Gordon Hayward signing, that the power has shifted to Boston, and the Celtics are the team to beat in the East. I understand that it's the regular season and the Cavs know they're going to be in the playoffs and you still got to beat them four times out of seven to advance. But without Gordon Hayward and with Kyrie Irving playing with a chip on his shoulder, the rest of this team has figured out something to be able to play well. And while they may have struggled at certain times, they've won six in a row prior to tonight's game against Philadelphia. It'll be interesting to see how they match up uh, with the Sixers again. But the Cavaliers have yet to show me the dominance. They did it when they had that that 9, 10, 11 game win streak uh, a couple weeks back. But for the most part, 11 and 10 on the road, they're losing games they shouldn't be losing. And I know they're still trying to figure out a way to get Isaiah Thomas into the fold here. But this is a Cavaliers team that I am not yet sold on as a legitimate Eastern Conference champion. As of right now, in my mind, the top three teams, whether the standings say it or not, The top three teams in my mind are Boston, Toronto, and Washington. Those three teams, I think, have the best chance to win the East. Now, whether it's beating Golden State, it's a different story, beating Houston, whoever it is, uh, San Antonio. But it is imperative for the Cavaliers to find ways to win on the road. You look at some of these road teams, and I know the Warriors aren't a great road team right now, but they've also played less games than everybody at the moment. The Celtics, 15-5 on the road. Toronto, 14-9 on the road. Golden State, 17-3. Houston, 14-5. Even the Portland Trailblazers are 12-8 on the road. These are good road records to have. And in my opinion, you have to win those games to be able to legitimately contend for an NBA title. So, we'll see if the Cavaliers are able to rebound here today uh, against Toronto, on the road against Toronto, where they've been very good, 14-2 at home, um, playing very well, we'll see what happens. But i got to tell you, I am not sold on this Cleveland Cavaliers team. And like I've said before, it's because they don't play that great defense. They don't. When you look at Golden State, they find ways. Uh, Andre Iguodala, uh, Draymond Green, even Kevin Durant can play solid defense. You look at the Celtics, the best defensive team in the league right now, allowing less than 98 points a game. The only other team allowing less than 100 points a game is the Spurs. And Greg Popovich always finds a way to do it. So I don't understand the Cavaliers right now. I'm not sold on them. What I do know is that tonight is a huge test. If they come out and make a statement on the road with a big win against Toronto, a very good team, it might start to right the ship. But for now, I'm not sold on Cleveland as an Eastern Conference champion. And even a contender right now, yes, will they be in the Eastern Conference Finals? Most likely. But if they don't figure out in the regular season, I know people would say the regular season doesn't really matter, especially in the Eastern Conference. Guess what? When it comes to seeding, it might. Because if Cleveland has to face Washington or they, have to, they don't have home field or home court advantage against Boston or Toronto, they may not make the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone the NBA Finals. Cleveland's got to figure it out, especially on the road. I'm not sold on them as a legitimate contender until they start doing that. We'll transition back to the college game recap. A tremendous college football national championship game is expansion on the horizon sooner than the contract. is 2025 for this current format. Aaron Torres of The Athletic joins us to talk
2: about it in just a little bit. Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Pressrow Podcast-Public House Media. Or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM. You can also email the program PressrowPHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast.
0: Well, it was certainly a fun national championship game as Alabama defeats Georgia 26-23 in overtime, uh, securing Alabama's fifth national title in the last nine years and Nick Saban tying Bear Bryant for most in the AP era with six national titles, tying, of course, the legendary Bear Bryant. Aaron Torres of The Athletic, friend of the show, joins us back once again. And I guess, uh, Aaron, um, I'll leave you with the easy question. This Win kind of recertifies Alabama's dominance over college football?
1: Yeah, I don't even think it's debatable, Christian. Um, You know, and I think not only do they kind of maintain the spot, and I know where you're coming from, they were the four seed. There were some struggles uh, throughout the regular season, but, you know, when push came to shove, they beat two uh, incredible teams in the playoff in Clemson and Georgia. And really, like, it's important to note, like, two teams that are built similarly similarly to them. You know, it would be one thing if they got to a championship game and it just so happened they ran into Baker Mayfield and Baker Mayfield got hot and, 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 you know, single-handedly beat them. But, you know, Clemson and Georgia are two teams that recruit every bit as well as Alabama, develop players every bit as well as Alabama, have the, the financial resources to compete with Alabama, and Alabama still topped them. And not only did they top them, Christian, but, It comes down to they topped them in a a season where Alabama dealt with one devastating injury after another, uh, where they barely got into the playoff. And then, oh, by the way, where they all just had to make some small change at quarterback at halftime of the national championship game. So to me, uh, you know, that was my, you know, the biggest single takeaway I had is that, you know, if there was ever a year where Alabama was going to look bad and even if they made the playoff lose by two touchdowns, This was going to be it. Instead, Saban rides off with another national championship, another incredible kind of uh, feather in his cap. What was more
0: impressive for you, the second-half performance of uh, Tua Tunga-Vailoa or the defense of Alabama helping to bottle up the uh, Sonny Michelle Nick Chubb combination for Georgia?
1: Uh, I think it was Tua because here's the thing is that, um, you know, look, Georgia's defense, offense, excuse me, at times – has been, you know, to use the term you use, bottled up. You know, Jake Fromm is an incredibly gifted player uh, with an incredibly bright future, as he showed on that one deep touchdown pass to Nicole Hartman. But, like, the simple truth is is that, that uh, you know, they have had, uh, you know, games where, um, they, they haven't been super potent offensively. Don't let the Oklahoma game fool you. Uh, they won 2019 at Georgia. They struggled offensively at Auburn. So we've seen teams to some degree bottle up the, this rushing attack. But for Tua Tagovailoa, like not only like people like we need to remember like not only did he just get thrown into this game, but he had to make plays. And and you know look if 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 you know if he doesn't do what he did you know they would have there would have been second guessing of Saban there would have been second guessing of him uh and now you look at him and his ability to do what he did on the biggest stage against the great defenses i just mentioned you know, I I, I think it, it shows what his future is, and I think by the way, Nick Saban now has a really difficult decision as far as what to do with the quarterback position. But I think it's the fact that not only did Tua Tagovailoa get inserted into the game, but he also made enough plays to win. That to me is the thing that stands out for sure.
0: Speak with Aaron Torres of the Athletic here on Press Row, and, and Aaron, I guess the insane part to me about all of this is that you had Alabama and Georgia meeting in the championship game, and this was supposed to be at least thought about in uh, August as a down year for the SEC.
1: Well, I still think it was a down year. Um, You know, you can have great individual teams without having a great conference, and I think that was the case with with the SEC this year. I mean, look, let's be honest, Uh, you know, for for all the talk about the SEC, uh, you know, uh, maybe not as bad as we thought. Tennessee didn't make a bowl game, Arkansas didn't make a bowl game, Florida didn't make a bowl game, um, you know, Auburn lost to Central Florida, and I'm doing this all off the top of my head, so I'm trying to remember everything as it happened in real time, but... You know the simple truth is like I, I still think the Big Ten was better top to bottom. I still think the ACC was probably better top to bottom. I don't think the top two were as good, but I think better top to bottom across the league. So I I I, I get the argument that maybe this shows shows us something. But look, man, <laughs> Christian, you watch those games just like I did on Saturdays, man. Tennessee was, uh, you know, I, I think you I, I think it's inarguable that I'm in my 30s now, and this was the worst Florida team of my lifetime uh tennessee was just so inexplicably badly coached you know i think they finished winless in the sec which has never happened before in school history so uh, you know i i don't think we should i don't I, I think we need to give alabama and georgia all the credit in the world i also think we have to be realistic about you know what the rest of the league look like these two programs can be great with great talent uh, and still be playing in some pretty bad teams over the course of the season
0: what does this mean for Nick Saban's legacy? Does he now go down as if he wasn't already the greatest head coach in college football history?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that the kind of I think he really kind of shut the door on the conversation. Now, look, I think there's 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 three things to consider here. One, there are some people from a different era than probably you and I and most people listening that um, you know that will forever nothing that Nick Saban does will top Bear Bryant. There, there is also the possibility that if for some reason, which I can't see, you know, Nick Saban struggles towards the end of his career, and considering that he's sixty-six years old, I, I, I think that you know he's going to get out before he has a kind of a precipitous fall. Um, but you know, it could tarnish the legacy, and I think you know it's it's tarnished the legacy of, of of a guy like Bobby Bowden, who Bobby Bowden, I think there was some crazy stat; it was like fifteen years in a row or twelve years in a row he finished in the top four nationally. But because of those last couple of years, I think people kind of, it tarnished his legacy a little bit. So there's always that possibility with Nick Saban. But in terms of, and I know I said three, but that was really two. So first of all, you know, that's some UConn math right there. I went to University of Connecticut. Um, but what I was going to say was, is that um, as far as being the greatest of all time, this is why I think he's the greatest. You know, we all talk about kind of scholarship Reductions, and now everybody has 85 scholarships, and that's the big reason that everyone says, "Oh, he's the greatest ever," because Bear Bryant, you know, he could sign a uh, 100, 105, 110, 120 kids, uh, and, and just put uh, stack players on top of each other the way that Nick Saban couldn't. But I'm going to give you a different reason, Christian, and, and, and that's this: is that I look at it from this perspective. We are at a place in college football right now where, because of these enormous TV contracts, really with the Power Five conferences. You know, everybody makes money in college football right now. I mean, it used to be 15, 20, 25 years ago, even 10 years ago, that, uh, you know, in in Alabama, Nebraska, and Oklahoma, a school like that, they were just competing on a different level financially than everybody else. Well, you know, Purdue now has facilities that could rival anyone in college football. Rutgers has practice facilities that can rival anyone in college football. So everybody has the money, everybody has access to the same resources, the same diet and nutrition, um, you know, the same uh, money to pay assistant coaches. LSU just just gave a, an assistant coach basically almost $3 million a year. So everybody has the resources. It isn't like 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago where there were 7 or 8 schools that just had more opportunity than everybody else. So to me, that is why Nick Saban, what he's doing is incredible. A lot like Bill Belichick um you know in the nfl it's basically every rule that's been put into place over the last decade and not, not rule but every kind of thing that has happened in college football in the last decade uh should have set things up to prevent a run like nick saban is on instead he just continues to win continues to take down teams as i said earlier like Clemson, georgia whatever that have access to all of the same things all the same resources that that nick saban has at alabama
0: I'm going to ask you this, and then I kind of want to move on and talk college basketball while I've got you here. Alabama 13-1. and They win the college national uh, playoff uh, championship. UCF goes 13-0 and with a win over Auburn in their bowl game. They claim a share of the national title, much like it used to happen uh, prior to the BCS days. Is there any way you could see before the current playoff format contract expires in 2025 that we get a playoff expansion to 8 to 12, whatever the number is?
1: You know, I, I'll i say this. Right now, this second, I don't see it in the immediate future um, because I don't really think that there's a great push from coaches, from administrators. I think everybody's kind of happy with the system that we have. Everybody's making a boatload of money, uh, as I just alluded to uh, recently. But I, I think the thing that I would kind of keep an eye on going forward is how we get to those four teams. Because if it becomes a thing, I'll tell you this right now, Jim Delaney, the uh, the commissioner of the Big Ten, he's the most powerful person in sports, and and I know that maybe above board he said all the right things, and he's kind of, um, you know, just just kind of he he actually you know he's a very can be a kind of a, a blustery guy, but I thought he said all the right things and handled things well. If we get to a scenario where all of a sudden we go, you know, to, you know next year somehow the Big Ten gets left out of the playoff or the Big 12 continues to produce a team worthy of the playoff, or the Pac-12, which has now missed the playoffs in two or four years. um, You know, look, if we get to a place where where these commissioners just feel like it's not working for them and, and that they can't compete for some reason, then, yeah, I do think we'll get a push. But I think for the most part, one, I don't think there's any great, great push for change. But, two, I think everybody's pretty happy with the system right now. Now, look, there's going to be basically some form of controversy every single year. We had it in year one with Baylor and TCU – We had it last year with Penn State versus Ohio State. We had it this year with Alabama versus Ohio State versus Central Florida. But I think as long as in general we're getting four teams from four different conferences and those big five conferences are kind of all getting a piece of the pie over the course of time, I don't think there's actually going to be a big rush. Although I do think we'll get it eventually. I don't necessarily know that it'll be this year, next year, the year after that.
0: He's Aaron Torres of The Athletic joining us here on Press Row. I want to transition and talk college basketball for just one moment uh, as they're in the midst of conference play. Maybe people were wrapped up in the NFL season. Maybe they were all wrapped up in a uh, college football bowl season. But uh, if you could, Aaron, try to at least talk about the craziness that has been these last two months when it comes to who has beaten who, the rankings, and how much they have fluctuated in college basketball.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I I have my own podcast, Christian the uh the Aaron Torres Sports podcast. And I had Sam Vicini, another buddy of mine from The Athletic on this week. And something we just talked about was that that I think this is one of those years where not only is there not a quote unquote great team, but I think that not only are there not only is the top not as good, but I think the bottom in a lot of these conferences has risen. Now, there are some exceptions. The Big 10 is not very good after you get past the top three or four teams. The Pac-12, frankly, might. I don't know if they have uh, you know, two good teams the way that Arizona's struggling at times, UCLA, uh, teams like that. But, you know, in a conference like the SEC, every team can beat any other team on any given night. LSU, which was picked to finish 14th in that league last place, just went on the road and won at Texas A&M. Texas A&M was a little bit shorthanded, but I think it's fair to say that in years past, the team that was picked to finish 14th in a league, even against a shorthanded team that, like Texas A&M, which was ranked in the top five, top ten at the time, wouldn't have had a chance on the road. I think it's very similar in the ACC. Uh, Pitt is really, really, really bad at the bottom. But once you get past Pitt, just about everybody else is competitive. The Big East has seven, eight, nine teams that are competitive out of ten, um, the Mountain West, a, a conference that I know really well because of my coverage with The Athletic, they have five, six teams that there really isn't much separation between. And then, by the way, seven, eight are pretty good as well. And so I'm saying all this to say that I think that's what we're seeing in college basketball this year. It, and it might be kind of what I just said with football. Now that everybody's got more money, now that everybody can upgrade their facilities, now that everybody can fly charter. And, oh, by the way, now that we're in an era where kids want to play right away and get out as fast as they possibly can, I think it's reasonable to say that the talent is more spread out across the sport. Um, You know, the the younger teams can't just get by strictly on talent like a Kentucky or Duke. And you're seeing the veteran teams kind of step up. But like I said, I think that's what it is more than anything else is just the idea that that the bottom has come up in a lot of these leagues, and it's just a lot tougher on any given night to get a win. Not look at look at Duke at 1-2 and two in ACC play as we record, and there's plenty of other examples just like that.
0: He's Aaron Torres of The Athletic. Aaron, always appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the time, Christian.
0: All right, there he goes, Aaron Torres. And listen, I mentioned this to you guys last week, the SEC – is a tremendous conference to watch in college basketball. LSU beating Texas Tech was great. I love Tennessee right now. Arkansas has been tremendous. Alabama has gotten better. Of course, you're always going to have Kentucky. Uh, Florida is starting to regain some of its composure, but the SEC in college basketball is amazing. It is so much fun. Uh, you got to absolutely love it. And listen, from a playoff expansion standpoint, this is my thought. My thought is... I hate the bowl games because if you look at some of these bowl games, they're meaningless. Nobody goes. They may generate some revenue, but not as much as you could. And we all know that college football is a money-making machine. Think about the Idaho Potato Bowl. The Idaho Potato Commission pays $450,000 a year for that sponsorship. They get average $13 million in media revenue from that alone. And they had a game which a team got blown out, and they couldn't even fill half the stadium. Imagine if that stadium is now a first-round playoff game instead of a meaningless bowl game. They'll make more money. They can charge more for sponsorships. It'll be tremendous moneymaker. What I think here, go away to the FCS. Now, the FCS has 24 teams, the top eight getting a bye. I'm not saying 24 teams. Here's what I think should happen. You get 10 teams as automatic qualifiers from their conference. So the conference championship game punches your ticket to the NCAA uh, to the college football playoff then you get six at-large teams and they can be from anywhere now yes I understand most of them will probably be SEC or Big Ten teams that didn't win their conference championship but so what so what at least you give the opportunity to a school like UCF to go out there and win and maybe the power five or the group of five schools those small uh, conferences like the Mountain West or um, or the Sun Belt they have to put it in there that, that only two teams from one conference can actually make it. So you don't have Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn in the SCC. Maybe you get just two of them, and that leaves way for like uh, a Troy to come in as well uh, as an Appalachian State. So uh, you have that. You have 16 teams. You start it the same time as bowl season, the week after the Army-Navy game. It's a bye week for everybody. And then those bowl games become playoff games. And you can still have the Rose Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Orange Bowl. You can still have all of those uh, there. Um, But in my opinion, I would love to see that. It would make a lot more money. It would be exciting for the fans. Whether you think, listen, yes, Clemson would probably annihilate Troy in a 1-16 matchup. But you know what? You're going to watch because there might be that one time where... Clemson slips up and loses to someone they shouldn't, like Syracuse did earlier this year, or like Pitt did to Miami. So I think it would be a lot of fun to watch. I can't wait for playoff expansion because I want to see good college football, not these meaningless bowl games where half the stadium isn't even there. So uh, we'll we'll see what happens, but I, I don't know. I think it happens sooner than Aaron expects. I think it goes bigger than most people expect because I think you're going to get a clamoring from those group of five schools that want that kind of representation and that opportunity. So we'll find out. We'll wait and see. But coming up next, Jake Brown of the Jake Brown Show. We touch on the biggest headlines in the NFL. Power struggle in New England, question mark. And then who wins this weekend in the divisional playoff? Plus, I've got a story for you guys that if you haven't heard about it, you're going to want to. It's a lot of fun. All coming up on Press
2: Row. Listen to every episode and get the latest show sent right to you. Subscribe to Press Row on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. Or visit us online at www.thephmedia.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast.
0: Back here on Press Row, part of the Public House Media Network. Christian, I'm here with you as we get set for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Uh, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Maybe a couple upsets here this weekend and joining us now. Good buddy, uh, host of the Jake Brown Show on Radio.com. And always another, always great to have another Hofstra guy as part of the show as well. Jake Brown joins us. Jake, thanks a lot for the time, bud.
3: Thanks for having me. And uh, we, we like to say roll pride, but I guess roll tide is pretty, uh, taking over again, right?
0: Very much so. And, you know, it's interesting. We talk. We'll touch on this real quick because uh, the, the talk of Nick Saban now catching Bear Bryant and and the potentially the greatest college coach of all time. The comparisons between him and Bill Belichick. And, and I've heard some people wonder which career would you rather have. So I guess I'll put that question out to you. Which whose career would you rather have, Nick Saban or Bill Belichick? Ah, oh,
3: that's so tough because I mean. They both have their pluses. Nick Saban's dominated the college level. Belichick's dominated the NFL level. Um, Belichick is stirred in controversy every year and now again this year and with the cheating. Um, I'd say it's tough. Um, I'd say Belichick, just to do it at the NFL level and the consistency that they've done it uh, against the talent that they've had is pretty amazing. I think Alabama's always had a storied – program and savings taking it to another level but i'd say nfl for me trumps college
0: so as we look now towards the nfl and obviously there's a lot to discuss here with the divisional round coming up this weekend and some coaching vacancies but you kind of alluded to it there with bill belichick and always having something going on with the patriots the report that came out or the article that was published last week about a power struggle in new england um brady being excited about the trade of jimmy garoppolo he has since denied that and bill belichick has denied all these things he the two of them and robert Kraft have, have all come out and said things what were your initial thoughts when you saw kind of the the first headline and then the story from ESPN?
3: Well, there's a couple different ways I look at it. One, it's January and it's clickbait. The Patriots always have some kind of controversy coming up in January, and uh, this is just another story out there that uh, fulfills that need and going to the playoffs and trying to take them down. But I do think there's some truth to it where, listen, if you're you're a guy and someone's coming in to potentially take your job within a couple of years and you're in the NFL – and he gets traded, you're going to be giddy about it. Brady's going to lie and say he wasn't, but of course he's giddy about it because he says he wants to play till he's 45. He wants to continue this TV-12 program. And when a stud like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's showing his true colors as uh, one of the bright young stars in the NFL, uh, when he goes, you're happy because you have more job security because you know Brian is scaring you away. Uh, So I do believe that part, and I do believe there's some turmoil. You see with Brady, I mean, every play it seems like Any incompletion, any miscommunication, the guy is screaming like he needs uh, to talk to Jack Nicholson at anger management. He takes it to another level at some point. Um, So I do think part of it was clickbaity, and I don't believe it's all true. I do think Belichick's going to be back. I do think Brady's going to be back. But I do think they're going to have to work through some of these troubles and have a discussion. Um, But it's kind of Brady's Brady's ego at some points has gotten the best of him. When you have Giselle, when you have – teammates calling you sir in the in the uh locker room i mean you, what kind of player ever gets called sir so it's kind of like brady's uh a and the other guys are F, like the guys are such at a lower level than he is and that should be the case so i do think there's something that needs to change there um but I, but i do see these guys coming back i'd be stunned if brady and belichick weren't here next year despite everyone saying oh belichick says he would go to the giants i think that's a bunch of baloney
0: well, and, and that's kind of the weird part, is it this all started earlier in the year with Brady's trainer becoming involved, and Brady's personal trainer taking care of Patriots players as opposed to the Patriots doctors. It, it feels as though if there was someone who was at the higher end of this hierarchy of those three, it feels like it would be Tom Brady.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that uh, he's got his own trainer getting all this access, like no other trainer any guy has before. I mean, the guy is everywhere. Other players use them. And you're right, that could have been the start of all this because Belichick's saying, Hey, go to my guy. Brady's saying, No, go to my guy. And it's kinda of like a big tug of war going on in that in that clubhouse for this trainer. I mean this trainer must feel like a hot Instagram model or something. He's he's got all these players coming after him and Belichick's just saying, Let's go with our guy. Um, so it's definitely an odd predicament and one that I have not heard of before. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out now that he's no longer having this access. Uh, will these guys uh, go to the Patriots trainer, and will this uh, re- will this get resolved at any point soon? Uh, they took the first step in uh, banning him from, I guess, the locker room and the meetings and all that. So hopefully there's no more uh, turmoil going on in this offseason.
0: He's Jake Brown of the Jake Brown Show on Radio.com. I want to talk about some of these coaching vacancies. We've seen uh, the Bears have now found their coach. The Raiders obviously found theirs. But four jobs still left to be open. Of these four that remain, which one do you see is the most uh, exciting or the most lucrative for a possible candidate?
3: Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Well, I think the Bears opening was a good one, and I'm glad they found an offensive coordinator that can help out um, Trubisky because I think he's got a bright future and they should have a bright future with him at the helm I think the Giants opening is interesting because I do think they are a team that's going ahead in the right direction I mean this was supposed to be a much better team this year and despite them having a terrible season if healthy excuse me they do have pieces there where I do think that is an intriguing spot especially transitioning to potentially a new franchise quarterback, whoever they do draft, because you do assume they're going to get a quarterback. So I do think the Giants opening um, is a good one. I think that might be at the top of the line is New York. I mean, this team's won two Super Bowls in the last 10 years. That's an intriguing spot to be in, and a team that's usually committed to winning, and they bring in Gettleman, a familiar face. Uh, so I, th- I think the Giants one uh, could be the cream of the crop. And I, I do think the, the Cardinals opening is interesting because they already have a defense in place. If they can find a quarterback, I do think there are some pieces there with the Cardinals that are intriguing as well. So I think the Giants and Cardinals are are probably up there.
0: Those two teams are interesting to me simply because it it, it feels as though – Throughout the interview process, they should be – the coaches should be wondering what is their plan to do in the first round. If you're interviewing for the New York Giants job, are they drafting the replacement to Eli Manning or are they helping Eli for another Super Bowl run? And then in Arizona, are they going to stick with Drew Stanton or are they going to try to find that franchise quarterback in that first round?
3: I think they both need to find a quarterback. I think the Giants aren't going to go in a spot where they – Eli's got – if he comes back a year or two left. But I don't think they're going to be in a position where they're going to say, all right, let's go after an Alex Smith. Let's go after Kirk Cousins. I think they want to transition and, and have a new guy come in and take the helm. And I think this is the year to do it. Uh, you, have, you have Baker Mayfield. You have Josh Allen. You have potentially you would imagine Rosen and Darnold still on the board. Uh, the the Browns might pick one of the two, but you're left with potentially the other. Uh, so I think this is the year to do it for the Giants. And if you miss, you miss. Then you figure it out in free agency. But I think you have to take a shot because this is the year to do it. I think the Cardinals, they would be nuts to trust Drew Stan. I mean, I would not put your franchise in the hands of Drew Stan. I think he's a serviceable backup, but if he is not a starter over 16 games. He'll get exposed. So I think the Cardinals are going to have to look – they're in an interesting situation because they finished 7-9. Uh, and nine. So they're in a spot where they're in the middle of the pack. Who are they going to get or any of those guys going to be there? You would imagine that one of those top four quarterbacks is still there, and that's probably their hope. And if he is, I think you have to take him. Uh, so I, think, I do think both the Giants and Cardinals are going to head in, to the youth direction and pick a quarterback in the first round
0: but here's where it's weird for me because Eli's under contract for two more years for the Giants you got that number two pick unless the Browns decide to do something they've never done and not draft a quarterback with the number one overall pick Saquon Barkley is right there at number two or you've got a talented young man in Quentin Nelson an all-american lineman who's from New Jersey that you could plug into that offensive line and then next year Bryce Love is available in the draft potentially you could have uh, Jake Fromm available you have another number of other quarterbacks to learn under Eli for a year I, as a Giants fan growing up Jake I don't I may be the only person who doesn't think the Giants are taking a quarterback this year
3: I don't I would just be shocked because they haven't done it in so long and and with all the turmoil that's happened this year there's no guarantee that Eli's gonna even want to stay here I think you have to do it and you can't risk doing it next year I'll I admit I love Barkley I think the guy is just explosive and I think you got to take a look if he's there um but maybe who knows maybe they trade back and they get a couple of first-rounders, and they get maybe Barkley, and they get a quarterback. Uh, I just don't think you could pass on the quarterbacks this year. and Everyone's talked about them, and for good reason. I don't think you're going to have the same kind of quarterback class next year as you do this year. And who even knows with Jake Fromm? I mean, he's so young that he may stick around a couple more years. So I don't know, man. I think this is the year to do it. I don't think it's the year to start them. I still think, Eli, maybe you give him a year or two, but I think he's got to at some point pass the baton to a young quarterback
0: he's jake brown of the jake brown show on radio.com joining us here on press road. let's get to the actual games coming up this weekend nfl divisional round uh more surprising uh of the first round matchups i guess that you that you saw was uh how bad i guess the bills and jacksonville jaguars were or the fact that atlanta was able to go to la and really kind of take it to the rams
3: i knew i i've always said the bills jaguars game would just be uh, disgusting game it was the worst of the four games it was going to be a defensive uh showdown it sucks for you i mean i'm rooting for the bills because i mean bills mafia how do you not love them i mean jumping through tables that are lit on fire is just like ringley barnum bailey circus going down and in, in buffalo so it's incredible it's been incredible to watch that all year and you feel for the fans taking forever to finally get to the playoffs so it's tough to see them have to put it in nathan peterman's hands who does what he does best and throw a pick but I don't think the Fal- I guess of the two I'd say the Falcons was more surprising just cuz of how much ease they had doing it. I thought the Rams biggest problem was losing Greg Zerline and if they needed to kick in the big spot, they weren't going to get it from Ficken, but that wasn't their issue. Their offense just couldn't get it done against a mediocre Falcons defense at home, uh which was pretty alarming, but it's the it's a it's a new thing for the Rams. It's, they're new to this. I mean, the new head coach, young head coach, young quarterback, young team. Uh, in a big spot, Atlanta's been there before. So neither of them were surprising. Of the two, the fact that the Falcons won by 13 uh, was more surprising. But man, the Falcons are a team you got to watch out for because they're this is a revenge tour for them. So it would not stun me if they made a run to the Super Bowl.
0: We started off this conversation talking about the national championship game in two SEC schools. Uh, the South of NFL is doing pretty well. Four teams from uh, combined, two from the AFC and two from the NFC South divisions, are there Tennessee and Jacksonville, obviously, and then, of course, the Saints and the Falcons. This Saints squad, I think, uh, is really interesting to watch simply because all year we talked about their running game, and then last week it was Drew Brees in typical Saints fashion throwing the ball all over the place.
3: That's what makes them so scary is uh, they have a one-two punch that they haven't had, uh, it seems like, in forever in Ingram and Kamara, and they both do different things. If you need the ground and pound, you go to Ingram. If you need some uh, versatility and a receiver out of the backfield, you go to Kamara, who, by the way, could run it back on special teams at a moment's notice as well. So I think the Saints are so well-rounded that if their defense could just hold up, you put it in Bree's hands, you put it in Ingram's hands, uh, Thomas, Kamara, they have so many guys on offense that when if Breeze struggles, the run game picks him up. The run game struggles, Breeze picks him up. Uh, that it's it's going to come down to their defense. I think they're in a in a tough matchup here, um, having to play the uh, the Vikings, excuse me, that in Minnesota, a team that's fighting for Super Bowl home field, which has never been done that they kind of got a tough matchup here they'd much rather have faced the Eagles and Nick Foles I'm sure in Philly but we'll see they'll play in Minnesota uh and they got a shot because it's Case Keenan versus Drew Brees when you look at just quarterback matchup uh you favor Brees so I, I like the Saints team they're fun to watch and how about after such a bad start and how they had literally no identity they have developed uh, quite an intriguing identity now
0: how interesting is it that you're going to have the top two teams in the NFC essentially with backup quarterbacks now? Because of obviously Case has been playing a lot more this year, but how much more confident would you be in Case Keenum at the helm for the Vikings as opposed to Nick Foles for the Eagles?
3: Well, I think I'm more confident in Keenum also because of his defense, um, and he's got targets. He's got dig- his running game has been great. Latavius Murray, Murray has finally lived up to the contract they signed him in the offseason. And and Jarek McKinnon is a good guy to have as a receiver as well. So I'd say I'm more confident in Keenum just because of – you look at what's happened this year and Foles has filled in and has just looked miserable. And he's looked bad against teams that aren't that good. I mean he looked terrible against the Cowboys. I know the game didn't matter, but to not score at all and look as bad as he did. And then he looked terrible against the Raiders who don't have a good defense. So now he's got to play against the big boys. And they're in trouble. I think what they have going for them is that it's one at home, and two, it's it's going to be cold. Uh, I think that's what they and they're playing a team that's not as good in the cold, in the Falcons. So I, I think the Vikings do have the better chance, just because I think their are all around team is better, and I think Keenum's playing better, and he, and he's a veteran, uh, so he knows what he's doing.
0: As you move over to the AFC side of things, we kind of said this last week with the Titans that it would be a shocker if they went on the road and beat Kansas City, but it would be a true shocker if they went up to New England and knocked off the defending Super Bowl champs.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, if they win this game, I would be absolutely stunned. I didn't see what the spread was, but I, I it might be double digits. Um, but I just – I wouldn't believe it. Now everyone wants to talk about the Jaguars could do it at Pittsburgh. Um, I don't see that either, but that is much more plausible than seeing uh, the Titans do. I mean, the Titans are a weird team. They have times where they look good and they have times where they look terrible, but I just don't trust Marcus Mariota in Foxborough in the cold taking down Tom Brady. Uh, it won't be like a 3-4 touchdown blowout, but I, I think the Patriots should win this by double digits. You
0: you mentioned Jacksonville, but how much does Antonio Brown and his ability to play, if he can play, on Sunday, how much does that affect the Steelers' opportunity?
3: Oh, it does, but I think he is going to play. I know there was video that blew up of him destroying Ocho Cinco, which I guess doesn't mean much. uh, Ocho Cinco's the star of flag football, the new flag football league now. Um, But I think he's going to play, and I think he's going to be fine. I think he's gotten enough rest now where – Sure, he's not going to be 100%, but I think Antonio Brown at 80% is still better than most receivers, and most guys are going to cover him on any other side. Uh, he's got a tough matchup, though. You're going up against two Pro Bowl Jacksonville corners. It's going to be interesting. And I had an argument with a friend on Twitter, and he he's like, oh, didn't you see what, the, what happened the first time with 9? I said, there are different teams. And he said, oh, it's different teams. That, that the Steelers have the same roster. Teams in week six versus January – it's two different stories. I mean, teams. look at what the Saints did in the first five to six weeks. They weren't that good. Um, so I think people got to realize that this is a completely different season than it was in week six. I, Big Ben is not throwing five interceptions again. I'd be stunned if that happened. So the Jaguars have a shot. But, I mean, I do not trust Blake Bortles in January in Pittsburgh uh i give them credit i mean they've come this far i was never on the jaguars train really uh, but their defense finds ways to get defensive touchdowns and to force turnovers and put their offense in good spots but i, I don't see them beating big big ben again and i think antonio brown's gonna have a hundred plus yard day
0: yeah I, I don't know how much anybody really trusts blake bortles i think it's more about that defense obviously with jacksonville but Ben, we don't, I think a lot of people underestimate how mobile Ben Roethlisberger is. That being said, he's not Tyrod Taylor. So if Calais Campbell's able to get through there, it could be a long day there in Pittsburgh.
3: Yeah, I, I think Big Ben's going to be fine, though. And I know Campbell has just been remarkable this season. And this defense, they score in strange ways. I mean, they get fumble recoveries for touchdowns, they get tipped uh, tipped balls off of receiver's hands for touchdowns. Uh, but I just think Ben has so much more chemistry with these guys and especially Juju Schuster that he did not have earlier uh, and and with Martavis and with Rodgers and with all these guys now that he didn't have in week six. Uh, and I think he's more confident in himself now than he was then because remember there were talks that maybe he's done and maybe he didn't retire then that you haven't heard since that that time. So this is a brand new Steelers team. And I hope it's good because I don't think the other game is going to be good, that good. Uh, so I hope it's entertaining. Uh, but but I, I do think the Steelers are going to get this done because it's, it's the inevitable. Patriots-Steelers, that's all good. The only thing that was going to stop that was maybe the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are out now. So it's, it's set up perfectly for the rematch uh, this time in Foxborough.
0: So you've got Patriots-Steelers in Foxborough next week for the AFC title. Who hosts the NFC Championship game and who do they face?
3: I do think the uh, – the oh man, this is tough. Viking Saints is that's that's the game of the week, man. That's that's going to be an inc- that is such a tough pick, even in Minnesota. Um, I, I do think, I do think the Falcons are going to take down the Eagles uh, in Philly. I do think they get the job done. They're on a revenge tour, uh, and this is a favorable matchup for them. They they kind of got, uh, I wouldn't say two favor. I guess I say two favorable matchups. They get a young Rams team that they can take down that. E- yeah, they're on the road, but the Rams don't have a true home field identity. There was a lot of Atlanta fans there. So that wasn't too bad, and now think of the Eagles. So I think this is going to be a tight one. I think the Eagles' defense will keep them in the game, but I think the Rams get the job done in Philly, uh, and you feel bad for Philly fans because this was the year they were expecting to maybe get it done, and then Carson goes down. So I, I think they win. And I, I think just because of the fact that they're looking ahead kind of and they're really hungry right now and they want to be – at home in the Super Bowl, something tells me that the Vikings are going to beat the Saints. I think it's going to be as close as close can be, and it might come down a field goal. And can, the key will be, can Kai Forbath make a big field goal? This guy has just been such an inconsistent kicker that you don't know what you're going to get from him week in and week out. So if they can just get Kai to make a field goal, maybe in the final minutes, I think they they, etch out, they edge out the Saints uh, with that home field, something like a 27, 24. So saints, uh, Vikings, Falcons, NFC championship.
0: Jake Brown hosts of the Jake Brown show on radio.com and Spotify. Jake, good catching up with you, buddy. Thanks a lot.
3: All right, man. Thanks for having me.
0: That's Jake Brown of uh, the Jake Brown show on radio.com. You can find him Jake Brown radio or uh, Jake Brown show on Twitter as well. Listen, I mean, it's going to be a fun weekend of football. I, I, kind of agree i want to pick a lot of upsets here this weekend i really do i really want to find a lot of of upsets i think the eagles do go down atlanta proved something to me last week and last year i didn't i i didn't take atlanta once i didn't think atlanta could do anything until the nfc championship game last year um i'm done uh, uh doing that so i'm on atlanta i think the falcons win I do think the Vikings win. I don't know why, but there's just something about the way that Case Keenum has been managing games this year uh, that is is just interesting. So I think it's Atlanta in Minnesota next week, and then uh, there's there's really is no question. Do the Jags stand a chance? Yes, but is it realistic? Probably not. Um, so Steelers-Patriots next week as well. We'll touch on more of that in just a little bit as well. Your listener questions and a little bit more coming up here on Press Row.
2: Want to be part of the show? Go to Facebook and search Press Row Podcast-Public House Media, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can also email the program, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. This is Press Row with Christian Heimel, a public house media podcast.
0: Closing up shop here on Press Row. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, iHeartRadio, or our website, thephmedia.com, we certainly appreciate your guys' support. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, share us with your friends and family. Continue to make us one of the fastest-growing sports podcasts in the country. We certainly love your guys' supports all the time. Time to answer some of your uh, listener questions. As always, we take them throughout the week on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, social media, all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM. Uh, you can find us on Facebook PressRow Podcast Public House Media, or you can always email the show Press Row PHM at gmail.com. If you guys want to find me on Twitter, at Chris Heimel, please do so. Always appreciate talking with you guys, no matter what it is uh, on social media. Love engaging with all of you throughout. So let's get to a couple of questions here. Uh, We'll go back to the National Championship game. Mike in Kansas wants to know who blew it more. Jake Fromm, Kirby Smart. Uh, Listen, I don't think it was that much uh, anybody choking or anybody blowing it. Um, I, I know... Uh, it it was tough for a lot of different people to accept uh some certain things that went on with the game. But here's what I honestly think this is my honest to goodness opinion about the game and how it transpired. Nick Saban, the genius that he is, saw at halftime with his team down thirteen to nothing, and the fact that his quarterback, Jalen Hurts, had thrown the ball eight times for twenty-one yards, realized that the only way he was going to beat Georgia was if they threw the football. They would have to find a way to do that, find a way to be a tremendous throwing team. And so he went and put up a brand new freshman quarterback, giving him the opportunity. Uh, and and Tua Tungo-Vailoa uh, comes in, second half, 14 of 24, 166 yards, and three touchdowns. And I think the reason Saban did this, because he knew that his defense could stop the running attack. And, and that was the one thing that I wasn't sure of. I did not think that with Anthony Jennings out of the game uh, and missing it because of injury, that Alabama would be able to stop the combination of Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. I was dead wrong in that because Georgia combined for 133 rushing yards. Chubb and Michelle, uh, 123 of those. Meanwhile, Alabama goes out and rushes, with a number of different guys for close to 200 yards. When you look at Georgia's defense, and this was a big issue against Oklahoma and why I thought Oklahoma had the edge over the Bulldogs, that secondary is not that great. You looked at the, at the uh, Rose Bowl game, and Baker Mayfield, 287 passing yards. Now, I understand that that's not as much as he could have had, but 287 passing yards on 35 attempts, 23 of 35. Georgia's secondary has not been that great so far this year. When you look at Georgia as a team throughout the year, that's been the biggest issue is allowing those guys uh, to be able to pass like that. And it's disappointing, of course, if you are a Georgia fan, but that is the absolute truth that they allowed way too many uh, guys to throw well like that. Um, I'm just looking at some of their numbers here. And this is a Georgia squad that gave up a heavy amount of rush of, of, um, of passing yards. And so Nick Saban understood that if they were going to win, and he even said it at halftime. If you look at it, he understood at halftime when asked by Tom Rinaldi what the biggest change was going to be. He said, or what the biggest struggle was, he said, we're not throwing the ball well. We need to do better of that. And it's not just Jalen, it's an entire team. That almost hinted that a quarterback change was coming. And Tua, to his credit, came in and he made some dumb plays. You look at the interception, it was a, looked like it was a run play and everybody was blocking. He just threw it to nobody in particular, gets picked off. Fortunately, his defense comes right back the very next play, gets a pick, and the kid goes down and scores a touchdown. But this Alabama squad with this freshman understood, and Nick Saban, to his credit and his genius, knew that they were going to have to throw the ball against the Georgia secondary that probably wasn't as good as they should be. That being said, you can't blame, uh, you can't put the blame on Jake Fromm. The freshman, I thought, played well. Yes, two interceptions, but true freshman, 19 years old, at some point playing against that defense, that's a NFL defense that he's playing against in Alabama, and they legitimized their choice of being put in as the number four team in the college football playoff. Um, But when the running game got stopped and I thought that Georgia and that Jake kind of had uh, his season. I don't want to say his season that he was like helped along by the running attack because he was, because you look at what they did and running wise, this is a team that ran for as many, if not more passing yards than They passed for this year. You look at Jake Fromm threw for 2,600 yards combined. Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle rushed for 2,600 yards uh, this year. They didn't do that against Alabama. And when you make a team one-dimensional with a freshman quarterback who maybe hasn't been put in that position before, it's difficult. And that, I think, is the main reason why Alabama won the game is because Nick Saban understood that he could throw the ball against that Georgia secondary, and Tua came in, and he knew that was his job, that was his thing. Give all credit to the Crimson Tide. It puts, obviously, Jake Fromm in a tough position, but he'll be back next year, maybe a couple more years. Obviously, now with Jacob Eason, the injured quarterback who he replaced at Notre Dame, by the way, in one and one point game. Uh, Eason's transferring out to the University of Washington, so it's... It, it's tough to say that it's solely Kirby Smart or Jake Fromm or someone else's fault. Let's give credit where credit is due. Nick Saban is a genius. There's a reason he's the greatest college football coach of all time, uh, and, and he showed it on Monday night with that second-half quarterback change. Uh, Colin in Texas wants to know any big changes or big trades coming um, in, col- uh, excuse me, in Major League Baseball before we hit Spring training. Listen, you're about, what, uh, five weeks? Yeah, a little bit, just about a month or so away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Some of the biggest... You're going to see big names move. You are, because there are too many free agents out there that have yet to sign. Obviously, the big ones are J.D. Martinez and Eric Hosmer. Hosmer apparently has a couple of different offers out there. He wants a big contract, wants a seven-year deal. He's been offered that by the Royals to go back to Kansas City. I think he's hoping to maybe go elsewhere with a chance to win sooner. Um San Diego has offered him up a couple of spots, uh but we'll see exactly what happens, but it's a it's a 7-year deal close to nine figure close to 150 million dollars that he's been offered by the Kansas City Royals to go back. So we'll see what happens there. JD Martinez is another one uh that we're waiting to see what happens. Obviously the Red Sox look to be one of the front runners or at least everybody thinks that. They do need another bat, we'll see if they actually go for it, Yu uh, Darvish is still out there as a free agent he's been meeting with a couple of different teams uh, but as you look at the free agent list that are guys that are still available I don't think you're going to see any trades uh, I think we're done with that because looking at who is available um, from a free agent standpoint there are a lot of guys there, Matt Albers still has to work out some of his arbitration uh, potentially here, Jake Arrieta is still out there John Axford is still there. Um, Matt Belial, Joaquin Benoit, those are great relievers that are still available out there. Um, even guys like Clay Buckhol, or excuse me, uh, Craig Breslow and Jay Bruce, those are other guys who are still there, um, trying to figure out who's going to be signed where. Yu um, Darvish, as I mentioned, uh, and a number of others: Ari Dickey, Lucas Duda. Uh, could he, where is he going to end up? There are a number of names, too many names on the free agent market, um, that I don't think you're going to see any big trades. There are a lot of guys out there. Matt holiday is still there. Um, and you've got a number of other guys, Howie Kendrick, I'm just going down the list here. There are so many, even Jonathan Lucroy catcher still there, um, with an opportunity to sign wherever he wants to. Uh, so you're not going to see any trades. I do anticipate you're going to see a couple of big free agent signings. The biggest ones are going to be Hosmer, J.D. Martinez, Jonathan Lucroy, maybe Mike Moustakis, um, and then obviously you Darvish, Jake Arrieta, um, Bud Norris maybe, uh, and a couple of others. Jake Peavy is out there. Uh, there are a, a good chunk of free agents available, starting pitching, relief pitching, Uh, K-Rod, Francisco Rodriguez, even though who knows if he's going to be at anywhere. Addison Reed is still out there. Um, A number of relievers still available. A number of starting pitchers still available. Great position players as well. So I would expect to see some big-name free agents before we get to spring training. Because you don't want to wait too long. These players are eventually going to get to the point where if they're not getting their reps in, they're not seeing live pitching they're not going to be good enough to warrant the money that they sign. And then team can easily trade them, cut them, whatever it is. So you're not going to see many guys wait too much longer uh, to to sign. And you are going to see that. I think by the end of this month, we're going to have a couple of big signings here in Major League Baseball. I do think Arietta, Darvish, Martinez, and um, uh, Eric Hosmer are the ones that you'll see go first. So... Uh, who knows? Just keep an eye out. It's one of the fun parts about Major League Baseball is that even in the dead of winter, we can still talk about it because there's only a couple of months between the World Series ending and spring training beginning in just a couple of weeks. Uh, as always, we appreciate your guys' questions, love your feedback as well. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM. Find us on Facebook, pressrowpodcast Media. And of course, you can always email the show, uh, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. Before we leave today, I want to uh, talk to you guys about one thing that I saw that I think is just absolutely great. I don't know if you've seen this story, but you need to check it out. Jason Sobel uh, on ESPN. Uh, Bellevue University is in Nebraska. And next season, when they start their golf season, they're going to have a 61-year-old on the team. Uh, This is a tremendous story. Don Byers, 61 years old, pretty good golfer. Um, he was playing a couple of weeks ago, uh, with the coach, apparently Rob Brown coach of the Bellevue university golf team. And, and this guy Byers used to play on the web.com tour. Um, or excuse me, no, no, excuse me. He, they were playing at a, uh, a web.com tour venue, a former, uh, course that web.com tour would go to. And they were joking On the course, uh, the coach of Bellevue said, man, I wish you had some eligibility left. A couple holes later, Byers jokes and says, you know, I do still have some eligibility. And then as it continued down, uh, it was a pretty, he started recruiting the guy. Apparently, Byers played baseball at Nebraska Omaha, blew out his arm before he ever played, lost his free ride, and then left college and went into the workforce. So he never actually used his eligibility. And here's the interesting part. So in the NCAA rules, you have five years to complete four years of eligibility, which is why they have that medical redshirt year or that transfer year, um, whatever it is. But you don't lose that eligibility until you start it. If you start playing at a specific time, then your eligibility clock begins and you have five years from the time you start. Because Byers never actually played baseball for the University of Nebraska-Omaha, he still has four years of eligibility According to collegiate athletics, so he's going to play on an NAIA school uh, that was formed just seven years ago, uh, and they're one of the number one—they're the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, I think that's great. I think it's awesome. Um, Sixty-one years old, he's going to play golf in college, which is great. Um, I'm hoping that he's. Uh, let's see. I'm. I'm. I'm trying to find where in the story it said he was going to major in. Uh, let's see. Um, he is. He obviously has to be a student athlete. Uh, he's just going to pick up. He, he's literally just going to fill his his courses with random electives like English, communications, and history, just so that he can play college golf. I think it's great. I think it's fun. It's a cute little story. 61 year old guy who's going to go and play college college golf at the NAIA level. So. I think it'd be amazing if he wins the national championship too. But Jason Sobel on ESPN.com has it. You need to read it. Go check it out. We'll post it. You know what? We'll post it on our social media accounts. Again, find us uh, Twitter uh, at PressRowPHM. You can check us out on uh, Instagram as well at Press Row PHM. And then, of course, Facebook, PressRowPodcast Public House Media. Uh, been a lot of fun this week. I want to thank Aaron Torres of The Athletic for talking college hoops, college football with us as well. And then Jake Brown of the Jake Brown Show on Radio.com and Spotify for talking to the NFL with us as well. I want to thank you guys for being a part of the show, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com, or as always, our website, thephmedia.com. Uh, really appreciate your guys' support. Subscribe, rate, review, and until next week, I'm Christian Heimel. I'll see you on Press rock.